One time I was teaching a, an MBA class and um, I remember one of the students said, Mr. Montanez, you know, all my professors have degrees. Uh, where did you get yours? And remember, I'm from the hood, so I, I, I don't have a problem with confrontation, right? So I walked up to him and, and I just said, uh, University of Cucamonga. No such cool, right? It's just my hometown. And he said, uh, where's that at? And I said, private school, never mind. You couldn't get in. And then I walked away and there, all the other students were like, ooh, you know how that goes, right? He said, okay, I'll give you that. But the truth is all my professors have PhDs. And I had had it by the time I turned around and said, look, I've got a PhD. I've been poor, hungry, and determined. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Impact Theory. I am here with somebody that I think is gonna blow your mind, the one, the only, Richard Montanez. Welcome to the show. Thank you, a pleasure to be here with you. Dude, so good to have you. Your story is insane. Your new book, Flamin' Hot, uh, is, it may be my all-time favorite success story. It is so amazing, the number of obstacles that you've had to overcome uh, to get where you are today, and just the sheer breadth of your career is really awe-inspiring. And I would love to just start at the beginning, man. What's, what's the background? Why is the book called Flame and Hot? Like, walk us through that extraordinary narrative. Well, thank you. You know, I, I appreciate that you read it and you, you understood it, you know, because people uh, find out everything that I went through. Uh, the first thing they, they say is, you know, why did you, why'd you stay there so long? <laughs> it's hard to explain to people, you know, that's what pioneers do. They map out new territories and they come back and they bring settlers. So that was one of the reasons I stayed because I knew that I was a pioneer. I was doing something new that a lot of people didn't understand. And the just other to give thing, people a tiny bit of context so they understand what you mean by pioneer. So you, your family, two generations picking grapes. You guys are basically in a, a work camp and whole families picking grapes. You're sort of the first one that's going to have a career beyond that. Go to PepsiCo, get a job as a janitor and end up just to give people like the punchline so they see how powerful this is. You end up as an executive from janitor to exec. It, and it's it's really a pretty radical story. So, all right. So now backing up to being a pioneer, when did you begin to see yourself as a pioneer? Was that right from the jump or was that something that occurred later? I, I, right from the very beginning, uh, I, I didn't know what a pioneer was, but I look back on my, on my childhood, even as a child, I was a pioneer because you're right. Where, where we grew up was a small town called Guasti, California. It was a farm, a farm uh, migrant labor camp. Everybody picked grapes. Uh, about 2,000 families lived there. My grandpa, my, my, my dad, my mom, my aunt, my, everybody picked grapes. And we would uh, pick grapes as a family for one reason, because we got paid by the box. So the more a family went, the more they made. You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't by the hour in those days. And uh, so, so it wasn't, I wasn't picking full time. You know, maybe on the weekends or maybe in the summer when, you know, well, there was no school or whatever. And uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't as bad as, as some of the other migrant uh, communities, because the, the guy who built the, the city, uh, Guasti, Segundo Guasti, uh, he was an Italian that came from Italy. Uh, he migrated himself. So he built he built this. Uh, he built housing for us. He built a church and he built a school. 
So yeah, it, it was bad at first, but then, you know, as he was building it and building it, it got a, a little better. And, you know, that's where I started off. There was, you know, 10 children. I'm the second oldest. Um, so, you know, we were, we were really poor, but it was, I tell people, it was a fun kind of poor. You what know, made it uh, fun? I've heard you say that, and there's something super um, beautiful about why you say that it was fun. Why, what made it fun? Yeah, because uh, the first thing is, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of children and we had no toys and we had no bikes. Um, so I remember one time we found uh, one of the plow tractors, you know, they, they changed the tire and they threw the tires off. So uh, we would get inside the tire and roll each other, you know, like a Ferris wheel down, down the vineyard. So it was, it was, you know, stuff like that. You had to make up your own imagination. We made our own, uh, we made our own, you know, go-karts and things like that. And, and then the, 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 the rooms were like a, more like a motel. There was no kitchen, there was no bathroom, just for one room. And it was a community kitchen, like a big restaurant. There was big stoves and there was refrigerators. So every morning I had breakfast with, you know, eight, 10, 12 families, you know, and, and for dinner, I, it was the same thing. So it was the, the community is just like, I, I've since to seen that again, a community where everybody, you know, one grandma here ran out of whatever eggs and the other grandma would be right here. You had your own refrigerator and you had your name on it. And, no, and nobody stole from each other. It was just like, you know, everybody made sure everybody had enough to eat. So that's what I'm saying. It was, it was kind of, it was just so fun. I didn't know I was poor. We just, you know, there was, a, there was an, old, an old reservoir tank that they would uh, uh, fill it up for the watering the, uh, the vineyards. And we used to go swimming in there, you know, and, and the owner never said anything because, you know, he knew, he, he was like, you know, these are my kids. So that's why my dad and my grandfather were, were very thankful you know, for the start that, uh, you know, that family gave us. Yeah, that's one of the things about your story that I am so in love with is, you know, the, the sort of classic American dream is that my kids will do better than we did. And when you first get the opportunity to go apply um, at, I think at the time it was just Frito-Lay. I don't know if it was owned by Pepsi at that time or not, but, um, and you go and you get the job and then they give you a pretty key piece of advice that ends up setting you up when you got the job as the janitor what did they tell you well you know that was an experience in itself it was it was a dream come true because I, you know after uh, uh you know picking grapes i i worked at a car wash and i was a gardener i, I was pretty much working full-time when i was 10 12 years old um, i even had a fake birth certificate that my mom got <laughs> me saying that i was 18 years old so i could work at the car wash and one day my neighbor says, hey, they're hiring at Frito-Lay. This is exactly what I thought. I said, oh my God, Frito-Lay. And it was owned by Pets. I thought, if I could get a job at Frito-Lay, I could change the legacy for the Montanez family. I can go from the field into the factory. And people are like, it's a factory job. No, 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 it's an opportunity to change my legacy. They have benefits. You know, I'll, I went from $2 an hour to $4.50 an hour, double the pay with you know, with benefits, you know, I, I could start my family. I was just so excited. And, you know, and, and at the time, I could barely read and write. It was true. You know, I don't, I don't have any school. But yet, you know, I, I need to remind people I didn't stay there. I educated myself. Um, so anyways, uh, my wife actually filled out the application for me. 
and I, and I took it back the next day and I, and I was really nervous because the, the manager looked at the application and he looked at me kind of funny, like questioning me. He goes, did you fill this out? And I scared. I said, yes. And he goes, you have nice handwriting. You know, I haven't taken Judy's credit ever since. <laughs> so so I, I got the job. He says, you're hired. You're the janitor. Can you start tonight? I said, absolutely. So it, it was, it's interesting that the plant, uh, the Frito-Lay plant, was maybe about a quarter of a mile away from uh, the labor camp. And in those days, Frito-Lay used to build plants out in nowhere. And that's where Guasti was. You know, it's kind of like industrial built around it. Um, mm. It's not the same anymore. So I was able to, you know, catch my, my, my grandfather and, and my dad. And my grandfather said something to me that uh, I, I say is the reason I'm successful. And I love to tell young people this, you know, we've spoken at, at Harvard, Notre Dame, some of the top schools in the country. And I always say this, and, and he asked me, what are you going to do? I said, uh, I'm the janitor. I have to mop the floors. And he looked at me and he said, when you mop that floor, you make sure that it shines. So when people see it, they know that a mountain is mopped it. And my dad said, listen to your grandpa. You know, I actually took that on. And, and this is what I tell people. And, and, you know, maybe some people will get it in some way. I said, as much as I love the compensation, the promotions, Frito-Lay, Hot Cheetos, Pepsi, the truth is it was never about them. It was always about my last name. You know, it was always about that, you know, and uh, I'm mopping the best I could. And I saw that I was having an influence and people say, how can you have an influence when you're just a janitor? And I told people, there's no such thing as just a janitor. When you believe in your heart, you're going to be the best. No such thing as a waiter, a bus driver. And what was happening was my job was to clean the bathrooms, the lunchroom, and all the uh, managers' uh, offices before they came in in the morning. So the workers would go into the bathroom, and the bathroom was spotless. It smelled good. And they'd come out with a smile like, hey, who, who cleaned that? And then they'd go into the lunchroom and it was, you know, spotless. Now, you know, I wasn't complaining, like, throw your own trash. I was just cleaning and smell good. And then in the morning, the managers were you know, opening up their offices and saying, wow, who, my office is spotless. Who, you know, who did this? And everybody pointed to that janitor and said, Richard Montanez. And that's when I learned that at a, at a very young age that I had an influence. I could influence people without saying one word by my work ethics. I, I influenced, I put a smile on their face and never even said anything. And then I realized too, you know, some of these quotes, quotes that are ancient, exactly that they're ancient. Somebody said, you get promoted by who you know. I said, that's not true. You get promoted by who knows you. You can say, you know, the CEO or the manager all you want, but if they don't, and that's what was happening as a janitor, people were knowing who I was just because of my work ethic. I hadn't even spoken a word yet. One of the coolest things about your story to me is that two weeks after you get the job, even though you're doing a good job, they go to fire you. And one, why did they go to fire you? And then how did you turn it around? Cause that, that this to me is where you go from like a cool story to like, whoa, this guy really has another gear. That broke me. Uh, you know, two weeks, my, my at the time manager called me up, you know, the probation period was, 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 uh, was actually 30 days and 15 days had gone by. And he said, uh, I got to let you go. 
I can't tell. I, I mean, I didn't even have a hard time talking about it because it was so long ago, but what it did to me, I was just totally devastated. Like, you know, I, I blew the only shot that I would, somebody like myself, because you have to understand, you know, people say you don't make right choices when you're in the hood or ain't too many good choices coming to the hood. You know, it, it, I, I don't frown on anybody who's from that area because that's where I come from. You know, I come from the ghetto. I, my leadership is from the hood. So I just thought, man, it ain't going to come again. And I blew it, you know. So I, I begged him like, man, you know, please, you know, let me, let me, you know, what did I do? And then he said, well, you know, you don't show any initiative. I didn't know what the word meant. And, and here, here's what he was saying is uh, he told me to mop this, this, this. And I did it so fast and so good that I was finishing too early. So I didn't know what to do. So guess what I did is I mopped it again. So I just, I just kept cleaning the same stuff within those eight hours, knowing that I'd done it in four hours. But listen to this, no one had ever done it in four hours. So he said, you show no initiative. And I was, I didn't know what that meant. So I went I, and I begged him, I said, just give me two more weeks. I will be the most initiative person you ever see, please, please. And, and, uh, you know, it's part of my destiny. He said, okay, you got two weeks. So I went home and Judy's been my teacher, my inspiration. You know, I said, Judy, I almost got far. And she said, what happened? And uh, I said, he said, I didn't have any initiative. And I said, what is that? And then she began to explain to me and it, uh, it hurt. I mean, it hurt inside and, and it hurt so much that it took me over the edge. I ain't never going to hear that word again. No one's ever going to say that Richard has no initiative. So what I Why didn't started you quit? Do, Why didn't you get angry and say, what does this guy know? Like because, so many people, their responses at that point, they're like, you know, F this guy, I'm out of here. Because I didn't have any other choices. You know, I, I, I knew where I, where I was at at that time. I knew there was racial discrimination everywhere. You know, not to point any fingers, but, you know, that, that was the 70s. You know, we just came out of the 60s. So I didn't have a whole lot of choices. You know, I quit school. I didn't have a high school diploma. You know, I just saw that, you know, uh, I was, I'm a visionary, you know, and the problem with being a visionary is we're five to 10 years ahead of everyone else. You got to have patience to let everybody else catch up. So I knew, um, you know, I wasn't going to get mad. I, I was hurt and broken because uh, it was the truth. It was the truth. I didn't have any initiative. And that's why I, I teach young people. Sometimes when somebody tells you the truth, You've got to learn not to be offended and use that because it is the truth. Even there's a scripture in the Bible that Paul even wrote that I love. He said, am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? You know, and, and today people can't take that. Well, I'm quitting. I'm you know, getting the hell out of here. You know, he can't talk to me like that. You know, sometimes I say, you know, don't get abused. But hang in there. You know, um, build something and that's how i felt like i didn't have one i wanted that job real bad i, I wasn't going to quit just because you know it was true i didn't have any initiative so he didn't lie to me he wasn't picking on me he's probably one of the best things that, that anybody could have ever said to me so, so how I, did you, you know, end up responding well uh i turned it around you know i i did my job in four hours and i was on there, there was a wall that separated production from the offices and the lunchroom. Because in production, there was, you know, quality control. You couldn't go in there unless you had hairnets and, you know, protective equipment. Um, so what I did I, is I borrowed some protective equipment. And I went in there and I started hanging out with the operators. 
the people that were running the lines and I started taking their trash outside. Uh, and then uh, if they wanted, this is cool. This is the truth. I don't know, you know, people will like it, but if they wanted a, a cigarette break, you know, to go outside and smoke, you know, this is, this is 70, right? You know, everybody smokes. Uh, so I would say, well, just show me what to do. You know, you'll just be gone for five minutes. And they're like, uh, I don't know. Like, oh, come on, just, I'm, I'm a mechanic, you know, and I really am, you know? And uh, so they would teach me, you know, uh, how to watch the line and they would go outside, you know, and I'd do that for a couple of weeks. And so, so the other managers were, were telling my manager, like, hey, uh, the guy on your crew that mops in the night, man, hey, uh, I just want to thank you for letting him take my trash out. My guys helped him. And they were like, what? Who did that? You know, and he was like, yeah. like, okay. He was like, no one had ever done that. You know, you heard the old statement. That's not my job. Oh, well, yes. after, he told, after he told me that, I, I, I never said, I said, I'm employed here. That is my job. You know, that is my job. And, and little by little, I learned how to run the, the Dorito lines. You know, how to, and, and it, is, it is like being a pilot. It's not, you know, people say you just make chips. Oh, no, 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 man. It's like you got to go to pilot school to learn how to make Doritos and potato chips and Fritos. Believe me, it takes a couple of years to be a master. Like, it is just so extraordinary the way that you think and the fact that you had to go learn the word initiative. And then we're like, okay, cool. Yeah, I got it. Boom. And then I have the chills. Ah, it's Thank such you. a cool story. Yeah, well, that's how it, you know, it happened is I, I learned all the equipment, uh, you know, even I'm, I'm proud, you know, many years later, my CEO said, you know, you're the only person in the company who can peel the potato, put it in a bag, load the truck, make a marketing strategy and sell it in the store. No one else can do that. And that separated me as an executive because, and you know that, because we knew what the front line was going through. We knew what uh, what downtime was like. Hey, we got to get that going on. We knew what safety was. We knew all, you know all that stuff, you know, and it gave me an advantage. So I learned all the equipment. And then one day, you know, um, one day, um, one the uh, operators, one of the operators didn't come in. So that meant that uh, what they would do is they would double up the two shifts to cover the one shift for four hours. So that meant the, the guy on graveyard, so that was my shift. He was going to have to stay till uh, 11 in the morning. And the guy on swing shift was going to have to come in four hours early, and then do his eight hours. So it was, you know, 12 hours, 14 hour day. And this guy uh, had been doing, you know, the whole week and he, he was kind of tired because this guy was off for a few days. And, and I remember I begged the, uh, the supervisor. I said, let, let me have those, four, you know, four hours of overtime. Wow. That would be, you know, we'd be going to Disneyland that weekend, you know? And so I said, let me, let me, uh, let me run the machine, you know? And they're like, you're crazy. What's the matter? You're not an operator. No, no. I've, you know, Ruben's been showing me, you know, when he goes down breaks, I'm, I'm giving him a break and what he goes, yeah. And, and, uh, and I, and at the time I was writing everything down. I, I, I did terrible in school, but Putting in, being put because in my dyslexic, realm. dyslexic, right? Yeah, yeah, right. But being in my realm, all that was, it made me as though I was brilliant. I could, I could solve math problems by saying, well, you know, we need 30,000 pounds of corn, you know, 20,000 gallons of oil. I need, uh, you know, six people to pack. You know that, right? And I was able to calculate where it was very efficient, where we were making money. So I, 
I begged him to, you know, let me do it. And, and sure enough, you know, I, I did it. And, and by this time I had, I had been tweaking stuff to, you know, see how this out. And um, that day, the next day, the, 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 the main boss of production said, uh, who ran, you know, line number one in Doritos because uh, that eight hours, you set a record for most pounds produced. And they told him and said, what? A janitor? I said, use them anytime. I didn't have that official job, but I was, you know, uh, I was filling in for vacations. I was doing more of that than I was, you know, mopping. They could get anybody to mop, you know. And then uh, I really started uh, tweaking things and writing things down because when I started there, uh, they told you how to, uh, how to make a Dorito. Okay. And then I started to say, well, you know, how do you make the best Dorito possible? So I was tweaking things and I was writing things. It's like a laboratory. I was writing things down like a pilot would. And I said, you know, I, I presented it to my, I took it home to Judy and Judy wrote it up like a presentation. And I gave it to one of the supervisors and he said, you know, again, you did this. And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he shared it with the production man who shared it with the plant manager. And next thing you know, they're using those specs for the whole plant. And later on, it grew into the, into the, into the nation, you know, but the only thing that I, that I'd like to tell young people is this, is make sure that you write your history down because um, no one were recording that because of who it was coming from, because I wasn't an engineer. I wasn't a PhD, you know, research and development uh, person. So a lot of that history, um, was never celebrated the way it should should have been. So I'm teaching young people. I made it. That's why I wrote the book. You know, I wanted people to know the true story, uh, how I overcame certain things, but not to make the same mistakes I made. Get yours. So that's why I said, you know, young people say, "Why well, I, I, I want to, I want a career just like yours, Mr. Monten." I said, "No, time out. I never had a career. I had a calling. You know, um, the stuff that I went through, I don't want you to go through. You know, but." You know, I'm telling people, you know, now, you know, write down your history, make sure, you know, because the people say it's a, uh, not too many people will understand this. Uh, you know, we're always told that it's about the team. And yes, but sometimes it's about you, you know, don't, don't pass the ball. You know, Michael Jordan would never have been Michael Jordan if he would have continued to pass the ball. Kobe Bryant, my hero, I'm taking the shot. So I learned, you know what, the ball's in my court. I'm not going to pass it. I'm going to take the shot. So I tell young people, don't pass that ball. Take the shot. You know, and then they say this, too. You know, I'm an old corporate guy, okay? You remember, I got years of, you know, in the boardroom and all that. It's just I, I'm looking back now and some things were incorrect. You know, I need, I'm trying to change the culture. I changed the culture in corporate America once. I'm trying to change it again. You know, um, so I'm saying, you know, there's an old quote, I don't know if it was Winston Churchill, somebody famous said, you'd be surprised at how much you can get done when no one gets the credit. And I'd quote that like, wow, that's so true. But then I said, you know what? That ain't true. Somebody's going to get the credit and it's probably going to be your boss. You know, it's a really interesting concept though. So, um, and look, you leveraged it and you're, you're right to say, you know, for people to be really shrewd about how they play the game, 
but the way that you played it is also quite brilliant in the sense that what I'm always trying to convey to people is if you're indispensable and somebody's stealing your ideas, they still know they're stealing your ideas. So you still have leverage. And the fact that you were able to keep climbing, obviously you, you know, learned how to use your leverage extraordinarily well. But I want to go back to this idea of, I didn't have a career, I had a calling. Talk to me about your PhD. Okay, well, you know, I actually, you know, earned my PhD is one time I was teaching a, an MBA class at a real pres- prestigious, you know, I can't give you the name because you know, I don't think they want anybody to know that one of their teachers doesn't have a high school diploma, but we were teaching. And um, I remember one of the students said, cause I always say, I don't care what room you're in. There's always somebody in that room is going to try to steal your destiny. Your job is to be ready, not to allow it. So he said, uh, Mr. Montanez, you know, all my professors have degrees. Uh, where did you get yours? And remember, I'm from the hood, so I, I, I don't have a problem with confrontation, right? So I walked up to him and, and I just said, uh, University of Cucamonga, no such cool, right? It's just my hometown. And he said, uh, where's that at? And I said, private school, never mind, you couldn't get in. And then I walked away and there, all the other students were like, ooh, you know how that goes, right? <laughs> he says, okay, I'll give you that. But the truth is all my professors have PhDs and I had had it by this time. I turned around and said, look, I've got a PhD. I've been poor, hungry, and determined. You know, and that's how I earned my PhD off, off the streets, you know, so. Um, but then I realized, you know, as, as things were happening in my career, as, as you said, you know, I found a way. Uh, and here's here's how I did it. You know, people say, you know, I'm trying to influence. And I said, that's true. And, but I realized this. I made it specific. I'm not trying to influence everyone, only the right ones. Who are the right ones? Those who come into your life that can help you and you can help them. So I recognize that. I mean, it was, this was before, you know, Tony Robbins and all that. So I, just, I was just doing it because I knew that I had a calling. So I was leveraging uh, some of the managers that I saw were, were different, were visionaries to help me learn, you know, the computer to help me learn this. And they were, they were so happy to, to be able to teach because, you know, this, this is during when corporate America is a command and control. And what is a command and control? It's, well, exactly that. I command, I control. I didn't hire you to think. I hire you to do what I tell you to do. So these new, these new generation of managers coming out of college in the 80s were a different breed. They wanted to teach. You know, they weren't, uh, you know, from the old school where, you know, it was, it was to manage it. So when somebody like me would come up to a person, hey, teach me how to use the computer they'd like yeah absolutely so that's what i'm saying i didn't have to influence everyone only the right ones and i concentrated on who were the right ones in my life and the other thing that i never did and i teach this i never let anybody know what i was thinking i was smiling all the time even when i was upset you know because they would hold it against you so it's just like never let them know what you're thinking you know if they give you a dirty job smile you know if they're whatever. And that's what I did. And it worked for me. Yeah. It's, it is so amazing the way that you never let anybody slow you down, stop you, no matter what obstacle they put in your way. So this idea of command and control, you get this new CEO, he comes in, he plays a video for you guys. And he says, I want you all to act like owners. Now it's a speech I've given myself a bazillion times. It's a speech I was once on the receiving end. And when I heard it, it changed everything for me. 
And I was always startled that it didn't seem to change anything for other people. What did you hear? And then what did you do? Because that moment really becomes sort of the pivotal moment in your trajectory. Life, life changing. And again, it was a video because that was the communication. There was no email. Uh, it was either a fact or somebody sent out a video. Um, but I, I say this too, and I need to say this, that, you know, uh, I'm a firm believer in revelations. And people say, what is, what's a revelation? A revelation is something that was always there, but it's been revealed or unveiled to you. You know, revelations are always there. They should be unveiled to you. So when Mr. Enrico came on and he said, hey, I want you to act like an owner, I got a revelation. And here's the beauty of revelations. What do they do? They lead to revolutions. One revelation will lead to a revolution. And that's exactly what happened. I got a revelation and led to a revolution in my life. And what was that? Act like an owner. Now, every, everyone in there didn't take it seriously. Uh, but again, you know, I'm trying to tell them, did you just hear what he said? This is the CEO inviting us. You know? So I, I looked at it like this. When am I going to get an opportunity to act like a C CEO? What am I going to, you know, I'm a janitor with no education, you know, during a time when we're, we're trying to get diverse, it's just, you know, my skin color just blows it away, you know, tells you a mile away who I am. Well, when am I going to get another opportunity? So I tried to convince, and I gave up. And I tell people, sometimes you just got to let go and just break ranks. I've been breaking ranks my whole life, you know. So I went home and I told Judy, um, Hey, the CEO said, you know, hey, company's in trouble. Uh, we're losing market share. And he wants us all to act like an owner because he can't do it by himself. And she said, great, act like an owner. And I said, okay, but well, I didn't know what that meant. You know, um, so uh, right next to the plant was the, uh, the sales office. I just randomly went up to a salesman. And I said, hey, uh, will you teach me your job? I said, I'll go with you. I'll load up the truck. I'll do the work. You don't have to pay me. I'll, I'll come on my, on, on my day off. He looked at me like, man, you can come on your vacation, free labor. So he said, uh, meet me at five o'clock in the morning. So my first day off came and, uh, you know, he taught me how to, how to uh, write up an order. And he taught me how to uh, fill up the truck so that we could maximize the space. And then when we went to the stores, he taught me how to maximize the time in the store so we can get you know you want to do as many stores as possible then about this third store i was racking it I, and i just took a, a glance and there it was what what was it it was a revelation what's a revelation something that was always there but been revealed unveiled to you i saw it, and i looked at him he couldn't see it you know why he couldn't see it because he was an expert been doing that job for 15 years so I tell people, don't become such an expert that you can't see things anymore. Mm. The people that work for me, I said, don't bring me ideas everyone can see. Tap into the unseen and together let's pull it out into the scene and make it a reality. So what did I see? I saw people buying spices. I saw people buying bags of chilies. And then I looked at our products. And remember, this is a long time ago. I can send you a picture. I have one of the original pictures. It was uh, Lay's, Ruffles. Fritos, Lay's, Ruffles, Fritos. Everybody over there is buying chilies. And I look, we don't have 
any spices. That's a revelation. It was always there, but it was revealed to me. So I went home excited and I told Judy, Judy's that road dog, that partner that she'll line up with me wherever we got to go. And uh, I said, I got it. I said, she's a great cook. I said, we're going to put your salsa on a chip. And she said, great, let's do it. Which chip? And I go, I don't know. I, I really didn't know. So um, on Fridays on the weekend, we would go shopping at the neighborhood grocery store. And we would go there because I didn't have a bank account. I didn't know how to write checks or anything like that. So he would, he, he would cash our checks and let us buy groceries. That's why I love neighborhood stores. You know, that's, you know, they helped each other, you know, things like that. So, you know, we'd buy, he knew us, you know, and cash my check and buy our groceries. And uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, there was a, a young man, his wife and two kids. He was a street food vendor and he'd be selling elotes, corn on the cob. And for a buck, he would put whatever you want, mayonnaise, butter, chili, lime, lemon, cheese, however you, he had everything. And he used to inspire me because I, I'd look at him and he'd be standing so proud. You know, nobody ever told him he was a street vendor. He acted as though he had a five-star restaurant. He was a visionary. He was an entrepreneur. And that inspired me. I saw that, you know, he'd be like, wow, check him out. He, he really thinks this is a business. You know, and it was, you know. So I grabbed two, one for me and my oldest son and, you know, uh, took a bite. And then I took a second bite, revelation. What's that? Something that was always there. I looked at it and I go, oh my God, that looks like a Cheeto. And I said something that I believe every entrepreneur, leader, great inventor says at one time in their life. And that is, what if? When it comes to platforms that will help you run a business, there is no shortage of options on the market. But if you want to use the best, most advanced, and most efficient platform out there, you need to be using Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. With award-winning customer service, the internet's highest converting checkout page, and a suite of integrated AI tools. Tools, Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start, run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash impact right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash impact. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. 
Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need and Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What if I put chili on this Cheeto? What if I go to that meeting? What if I do try to launch off? a new company, what if? So I went and told Judy, I said, I got it, Judy. We're, we're going to put your salsa on Cheetos. And she's like, okay, go do it. Um, you know, go to the plant and bring some Cheetos with no cheese, you know, just plain. So I remember I got a trash bag and I filled it with uh, Cheetos and, you know, I put it over my shoulder and I walked out the plant. And, and you know, people know me by, by now, you know, and they're kind of like, you know, uh, Richard, you are so ghetto. <laughs> and I tell people, you know what? I'm ghetto, but I am ghetto rich. You know, so we get home and after, you know, a few tries, we get it right. And she takes some to her, her work. She's working at Target Warehouse at the time. And, you know, by the way, uh, the Target CEO, Brian Cornell, is a good friend of mine. Um, used to be part of the PepsiCo family and he's just a wonderful leader. Um, and so, they liked it. And I took some to Frito. They liked it. So everybody was saying, tell Richard to call the CEO. So Judy said, you have to call the CEO. Now, remember, command and control. Vice presidents don't call the CEO. A president does. And at the time, we were, we were in every country that the government would allow us. So there was a, you know, there was a president of Frito-Lay in Russia, a president of, of, of Pepsi in China you know, Mexico, you know, wherever, right? So, you know, there might have been a couple hundred presidents. They would call the CEO, not a vice president. So, you know, I, uh, I went and I found the uh, uh, corporate directory because there was no email. Every company had a little phone book. You know, I, I'm sure they still have it. And I'd look and you could find whoever you wanted anywhere. So, of course, first one was CEO. So I went into the the office where all the uh, secretaries were at and I picked the main one, you know, the head and I said, can I use your phone? And she started yelling at me. 
She said, no, you know this is not for private use because after all, what would the janitor be using it for, right? Company time, you know? So I said, no, I, I'm going to call the CEO. Her attitude switched. And I found out later that she had an audience because she, in her mind, I was going to get fired on the spot and she never saw that. That's terrible. She's like, hey, look at Richard. He's calling the CEO. Oh my God, it's going to explode, you know? And uh, so I called him, you know, I was really nervous and um, his executive admin answered and she was just that. She was an executive admin. She was a visionary. And uh, the conversation went like this. I said, hi, I'm Richard Montanis. Can I talk to um, the CEO? And she said, well, I don't recognize the name. What area do you run? And I said, I work in California. She said, oh, okay, you're the president of California? I said, no, I work in Southern California. She said, oh, okay, you're the vice president of Southern California? I said, no, I, I work in the plant. She said, oh, you're the vice president of operations? No, I, I really work inside inside. And she said, are you the director? No, are you the plant manager? No, what are you? And I said, I'm the janitor. And I began to tell her, I saw this video and, and you know, and said, act like an owner. And I'm just like, well, she said, um, hang on, Richard. I love how she said that. Hang on, Richard. Let me see if I can hunt him down. And this is where I say, you don't have to influence everyone, only the right ones. She was one of the right ones because when Mr. Enrico got on the line, he was pumped up. I didn't do that. She did that. I'll always be thankful to Patty. She did that. Like, I, I don't know the conversation. She must have been saying, you got this janitor on here with this idea. You need to pick this phone up. You said act like an owner. And guess what? You got an here owner. Is. You, yeah. So it's like we found out later we needed each other. He needed me as much as I needed him. You know, and uh, so he got on the phone, he's pumped up, like, and then he says something that just shook my world. He said, I'll be there in two weeks. I want to hear it. So I'm like, wow, hung up the phone and I'm floating. I did it. He's coming to see me. Uh, by this time, protocol goes into action, right? You know, they call the president, the president calls the senior vice president, calls the area vice president, calls the director, calls the plant manager. Conversation was all the same. Who let the janitor call the CEO? <laughs> Who's this Richard guy? So by the time the plant manager got it, he was on fire. Now, keep in mind, this is during a time when managers could cuss workers out. Okay, you know, you can see that in the old movies and stuff like that. But that was the reality. You're not going to get away with it today. But in those days, it was normal. Um, so he came and he cussed me out. He says, who do you think you are? You realize what you've done? Everybody's coming. You know, he's all weird. He's telling me, now I got to paint the place because everybody's going to see it. And, and then he said, he walks away and goes, you're doing a presentation. And my heart sunk. I said, I'm doing a presentation. I've never even done homework. You know, so I go home and again, Judy could see that I was uh, disappointed. And she said, um, what's the matter? I said, I'm going to get fired. And she said, why? And I said, because you told me to call the CEO. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. At typical leadership of a woman, she says this, calm down. It's not that bad. We're going to go to the library and check out a book on marketing. You know, with no Google, we had to work. But I, I've always been amazed at the leadership of a woman because of my grandma, my mom, and my wife. That, uh, you know, I consider it to be the best. 
you know, my leadership is because of the leadership of a woman, you know, and, and Judy calmed me down when I was panicking and she took me to the library and we found a book and we literally copied uh, three paragraphs off something that just sounded good. You know, I didn't know that the truth that I, I mean, of course I know what marketing is. I don't think there's anybody better than me, but I didn't know what it was. I wrote it down. And, and I, I don't know if you can see this, but just, just for your own eyes, but I have some of the original bags that I, Wow. That I created. Wow. You know, um, that's so cool. Did you make the logos yourself? Yeah, I, I drew all these uh, so logos. Great. This is why your story is so nuts. Like the number of people that complain that they're not getting where they want to go in life, but you go get the, the unseasoned Cheeto, take it home, create your own seasoning, create your own bags, your own logos. When to try and get you fed to the wolves, they tell you, you have to do the presentation. You go get a book on marketing from the library and put together a marketing presentation. I mean, this is great. This, this is like in, in a one person's life, exactly what I want for everybody to figure out that at the end of the day, booze don't block dunks. You said you love Kobe Bryant. That's his famous quote, I love that quote so much, that you can get so good at something that people can't stop you. And they try, oh, but they ultimately can't. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, that was the, these were the presentations that I used during it. And, and, you know, any, any sixth grader could have done them. Um, you know, so it, it's hard for an intellectual you know, executive to come down to sixth grade level, but a lot of times there's a lot of imagination at the sixth grade level and the things that you could, you know, if you could think like a child again without being afraid, but I didn't know any better. This is just what I was, you know, I was just going to go for it. So we made, we made a, a hundred bags like this, you know, and uh, I went, I went to the Goodwill and I bought me a suit. That day came, you know, we, we put this on transparencies you know, put my tie on, we made a hundred bags. I mean, you couldn't tell that it wasn't going to the market. You know, it was, that's how good it was. A little bit of an artist, not much enough. And, and again, all, all the tricks that I used, you know, was by watching people, the, the survival tactics that I, that I was like, how did you do this, man? I, I was, I was cutting pictures out and, you know, like third grade all over again, you know, and, but, but as, as an executive, as an adult, and what I used to do before this, when I'd get off work, I, I'd, I'd put on my old suit and I'd go into a, a, you know, a makeshift office at home and I would practice being an executive. And my wife would never say anything. She'd be like, yep, someday. And I would, I would I have pictures. I'd literally be drawing things and writing strategy. You know, and I couldn't even spell strategy and you know, writing it out. And, but here comes the day and I'm walking out the door. And, I, and I've got to say this part because it's the leadership of a woman. There's three things that Judy did in my life. And these are three things that, you know, I speak all over the world that I will always concentrate on doing these three. She inspired me. She encouraged me. She reminded me. The word inspires, it comes from the Greeks and simply means to breathe life into someone. To encourage someone comes from the Greeks. Also, it means to place courage in somebody's deepest being that they stand up and they're never the same again. And the last thing she did was she reminded me so she inspired me by saying, I don't know anybody smarter than you. I'm like, what? I don't know anybody smarter than you. And then she, she encouraged me and she said, you're the most courageous person I know. And then she reminded me, she said, 
Don't forget what your grandpa told you. Don't forget who you are. I walked out with the inspired, encouraged, and reminded, and I've used that with my teams. And I realized, man, when somebody's inspired, encouraged, and reminded of their value, they'll conquer the world. So I got to the plant, and uh, sure enough, anybody who was anybody was there. You had to be there. You know, it's like the president coming in, right? So every everybody's got a senior vice president, chief marketing officer, chief financial. Everybody was there. For, you know, even even executives from a 500 mile radius needed to be there. One of the biggest meetings of the year, and I walked in, and everybody's mad. You know, and uh, they're letting me know that they're mad. You know, the, the, the thing was to let me produce my own presentation and hang myself, you know, and stop what Mr. Enrique was trying to accomplish. Because they're wondering, why did he bring us to a small little town in Guasti, California, to hear an uneducated Latino talk to me about marketing, talk to me about building new products, when I have 300 food scientists that work for me, you know, so I had the stairs and, you know, and that whole thing. And so I got up there as nervous. And then it was the first time I ever did a presentation. I remember doing the, I don't know if you ever done transparency. If you're not an expert, they, they, will, they will make you look ridiculous. So I put it on there and it was upside down. Like, oh man, turn it around. It's still upside down. I finally got it. I was so happy. And I started doing the presentation and, and guess what? I had their attention. You know, I even, I even had one of the original elotes that I had bought the night before and kept it in a bag. And I said, this, this is a, uh, I told him, this is a, a meal. I found a way to take this meal and turn it into a snack. Never been done before, you know, and they were like, wow. So I had them just speaking from my heart, you know, no big words or whatever. And then uh, uh, one of the marketing executives, the vice president, raised up his hand. And I intentionally, this is the truth, I intentionally turned around and looked the other way. Because <laughs> I thought, you know, Judy didn't get me ready for questions. <laughs> she just said, do this, do that. And, you know, he's like, well, I got a question. I said, oh, I'm sorry, sir. Um, we don't have time for questions. <laughs> and he said, it's just a simple, you know, I didn't realize you don't say that to executives, right? I mean, that's, you know, you had never done that. So, I'm, well, we don't have time for questions. Let's go home now, you know? And he said, that's oh, just a simple one. So I just, oh, I thought about it. And then uh, I said, okay, sir. You know, and said, I'm, I'm really nervous, you know? Uh, he said, well, how much market share are we talking about? Almost fainted. The first thing I thought, market share, we haven't read that chapter yet. <laughs> what the heck is he talking about? So there was a door that I thought, you know what? I'm just going to run out that door. After all, I shouldn't even be up here anyways. You know, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. You know, I, I made a fool of myself, you know, sort of my entire life. You know, I'm going to continue to look ridiculous. I just, I, I was really done. But then something happened that is inside of me that I tell young people, you know, as scared as I was, there's a, there was something inside of me that was greater than the fear that was outside of me. So let's, let, let's go to the 60s, to my childhood, because many times I say, sometimes in order to find your future, you got to revisit your past. Well, my English was really bad. So they, uh, in those days, they brought in after-school reading programs, two traders, one trader for Spanish, uh, next trader for English. So every Tuesday, 
listen to me. Every Tuesday, I got into the line I was told to get into. It wasn't my choice. I said, that's your line. You belong in this line. Well, what do you think I did in the third grade? It, I broke ranks. And I got in the English speaking line where everybody just so happened to be white. The two teachers were two beautiful blondes. And as dark as I am, I'm thinking, man, can they tell I'm not white? You know, and, and my friends were over there saying, Ricardo, that's loco. You're in the wrong line. You're going to get in trouble. Come back. But there was something inside that trailer that I wanted. And I looked at my friends and I said this, they have cookies inside. I'm going to get us some cookies. So I got closer and closer and scared. Remember, I, I'm really scared. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Those two white ladies greeted me and filled my pockets with cookies. Now, when people hear that story, they say, what's the moral of that story? There's two parts. And it goes along with the end of my story here is um, there's a cookie that's been baked for everyone. Young people need to understand this. There's a cookie that's been baked for you. Your job is to get out of that line they told you to get into and get into the cookie line. The line is your choice. How dare we tell a young person, that's your line, that's your line. Get into the line, of your, get, get out of the poverty line, get into the prosperity line, get out of the job line, get into the career line. Uneducated, educated. Every child should know it is their choice. No one should ever say, that's why I, I teach parents, never let a test score determine which line your child should be in. Because I flunked every single test, you know, but yet I came out here. So that's the first part. The last part is what I say, this is the antidote to fear. I, I know that you have it, you know, and some people don't have it. When you get this, you'll never be afraid again. So what is the antidote to fear? Why did I break ranks as scared as I was? I was hungry. Hunger is the antidote to fear. When you're hungry to start a new business, Fear will leave. When you're hungry to oh, you know, run for a political office, fear will leave. So back to that question, as scared as I was, how much market share? Scared as I was, I was hungry. I was hungry for more in my life. I was hungry for something different. So I got a hold of myself. And I remember the, the racks, how big they were. You know, and I said, I got it, market share. And I, most ridiculous thing you can imagine, I stuck my hands out to the sides of the racks and I said, this much market share. <laughs> and I could hear the executive, you know, kind of gasping, like, oh, did he just say market share? But my CEO was a visionary. And he stood up and he addressed his team and he said, ladies and gentlemen, do you realize that Richard just showed us how to go get that much market share? And there was a young man who later became the president of Pepsi, good friend of mine, Al Carey, he was leading, he did the same thing. He told his sales team, you guys think we can go get that market share? Now, here's what I have to say, you know, at the end of the story that many times greatness will come in a ridiculous form. And if you're not willing to look ridiculous, you will never achieve your greatness. That ridiculous statement made me a legend in my company. As I got older, young executives, Mr. Montanus, will you tell me that story? It was a game changer. It was, you know, so I, so I realized I was not any longer going to be worried about looking ridiculous or worrying about if I said something right or if I spelled something right. I was just going to go with me. And two, you know, there was a lot of 
a lot of uh, adversity uh, coming from everywhere because the uneducated janitor just introduced a billion dollar, actually $2 billion a year product for pennies. And guess what? They were pennies out of his pocket. So, I never, so that was very offensive to a lot of people. I was very offensive to a lot of people. Even though I wasn't, you know, doing anything wrong, it was, it was just, I just offended you because you went to college and I got more done. So when I realized when, you know, very few people, all the great ideas, I mean, I, I shook that company, all the great ideas, very few people ever said, that's a great idea. And I finally realized, this is what young people need to understand. It wasn't that it wasn't a great idea. The idea was great. The problem was, where the idea was coming from. Because again, I was told, this is the line I'd be, you know, you're not an inventor, you're not a PhD. That's, this is our line. And, and the PhDs would, would, you know, would meet with me and say, you know, you can't be doing it. We went to school for 10 years, you know, um, but I was able to do it. So that's how I was able to overcome so much adversity. And two, I, I knew that I never wanted to be a victim. And I also had three boys at home and I wanted my boys to know that pops took care of business. I was there. If I was going to mentor anybody, it was going to be them. And I knew too, that at some point we would be where we're at today. I knew that I would be writing books. I knew that there would be a movie about me. I knew that I would be influencing the world. I knew that. And some people say, calm down. You just created hot Cheetos, but you got to put hot Cheetos out of the way, you know? Um, it's opened up these doors. That's why young people need to understand. Fall in love with yourself. Because when you fall in love with yourself, there's a freedom to be yourself. As, as a kid, I hated myself. I hated living so poor. I hated my color. I hated my language. I hated my food because I wanted to fit in and be like everybody else. But I, I realized at a young age that none of us were ever created to fit in. We were all created to stand out. That's why you, I, I'm sure you went through a lot of it, man, because, you know, you're a pretty brilliant guy and you probably didn't fit the mold. And, you know, you probably have a lot of friends that just didn't fit the mold. And, you know, but I think we're seeing that more and more. You know, you know, I have I have tattoos, you know, and I was always told to hide my tattoos. And I was always told to shave my I not once shave my mustache. I did it my way. But today you're seeing that becoming a, a form of art. Now, everybody has a beard. Everybody has tattoos. Well, you know, somebody had to pioneer all that stuff. You know, it's got to be in somebody's history book. What's in my history book? You know, I was the first vice president with tattoos. I was the first vice president with a big, I was the first vice president with hair slicked back. You know, that, that was me, you know. Um, I was just going to say that, you know, we're, you've done such an extraordinary job of walking people through your story, but, you know, in an hour, there's so many other things, you know, the fact that the food scientists tried to shut you down. So you find, you get the yes from the CEO, but then the food scientists do everything they can to kill the project. And you had to fight through all of that. And honestly, I think one of my favorite things about your story, because courage is not the absence of fear, right? The, the famous Absolutely. quote, it's rising up in the face of fear. And the story of you flying on the corporate jet for the first time and sitting in the CEO seat and, you know, everybody has a chuckle about it. And then you're crying on the, you know, the commercial flight home. Like, when am I going to stop embarrassing myself? And the fact that you had to struggle, the fact that 
you had this inner conviction to, even though you were sick and tired of embarrassing yourself, even though you still don't like to talk about where you dropped out of school, like that you still kept going and, you know, your work ethic, your refusal to be a victim, your willingness to just keep pushing, to break ranks, to get out of line, to just outperform people. That to me is, is what makes you so extraordinary. Thank you. And, and, and again, it goes to what I said at the beginning. I, I realized that I had a calling and I, I don't think we teach that enough to young entrepreneurs. Is this a career or is this a calling? Because I believe your calling will take you further than a career. And so I, I teach that, you know, figure it out. You know, you'll do more in your calling, but there's more pain, but you'll have more strength and courage to endure. That's why I was able to, you know, because people would tell me today, like, why did you do that? Why didn't you just sue? Why did you know everybody was hating on you? Because it was a, I knew that someday I was going to be right here. I knew that someday, guess what? Guess who's flying the plane? Yeah, it's him. You know, I knew it was just like, and it, again, the visionary, you know, it wasn't going to happen overnight. You know, it's going to happen years and years and years down the road. But here we are. And now, now I'm in a position to give back. You know, we have a nonprofit where we feed hundreds of thousands of people every year. We buy 50,000 pairs of new shoes and give them to kids. They can't afford them. And, and we don't collect a dime from anybody. It comes off of our dime. That's our way of giving back. I knew that someday I was going to be in that position. And so, again, it, it's part of, a, you know, your legacy, as I said, you know, my grandpa said, your legacy is in how much that thing shines. You know, it's not about... Not about and it's it's not about how smart you are. It's about how are you smart. There's a big difference, you know. Some people are smart this way than other people, but yet the people that are giving the test, they're giving the test and define it on their smart. So people like me will be mislabeled because no, he didn't. You know, he didn't do the IQ test. I, you know, high IQ just means you have a good memory. That's it. It doesn't mean you you know you can get things done. So, uh, you know, I know, I know so many people that, you know, they're so smart at building cars, you know, at putting stereos in, we don't give them enough credit. You know, they have businesses, you know, the, these entrepreneurs, you know, they built America and they stimulate our economy. Small business, small business does more to stimulate the economy than big business, you know, and all these millions of little shops, you know, uh, the person, you know, having a dress shop, a shoe shop, whatever they may be, we have to look at them like, you know, how are they smart? Well, they're smart in this. And that's what an entrepreneur is. And, you know, and, and uh, those are the things that I learned as a young man. And now I carry them as, you know, as an older man. I'm, ever, I'm able to share. I used to say that, you know, I'm going to be a professor one day. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach. And, you know, I, I don't have an official title anywhere as a professor. But, you know, I knew I could if I wanted. But, you know, I'm having so much fun just speaking all over the world that, um, yeah, it's you know, so it, crazy to me. And I'm sure, look, the vast majority of people that you've taught drink in your knowledge and recognize it for the brilliant map to success that it is. But it does make me laugh and cry sort of at the same time that, you know, somebody would worry about whether or not you actually have a PhD. It's like, I've done it. Uh, that to me is the, the hallmark of somebody who... Um, has done what I think is important in life. And that's to take your potential and turn it into actual usable skill set. 
um, which you've clearly done an extraordinary job of. Richard, where can people find the book? Where can they keep up with you? You have so much to offer. Um, how do people stay in connection with you? Well, I mean, they, they can, you know, I, I use uh, social media and, you know, and, uh, you know, I post, uh, I post some crazy stuff on Instagram, you know, it's hot, what's your username? Hot, hot Cheetos RPM. Nice. Hot Cheetos RPM. And RPM is my initial. So it's Hot Cheetos RPM. And, and I'll show a lot of where I came from because I'm speaking to everybody. I'm not speaking to a certain, you know, uh, group of people. I'm speaking to everybody. I'm trying to find ways to speak in your language, you know, to educate you and to give you something that could help change your life. A great place to end. Richard, thank you so much for your time and for sharing that absolutely extraordinary story. Guys, dive into his world. Read the book. The book is phenomenal. It's called Flaming Hot. Check him out on social. You won't regret it. And speaking of things that you won't regret, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.